Wow. Well, welcome to Audra Box with F.P. Wellman. I am Fred Wellman. Welcome coming to you from the, the beating heart of our nation in St. Louis County, Missouri. We are finally finished the midterms with an important win by my, my, a guy I really think highly of, Reverend Senator Raphael Warnock on Tuesday, clinching the 50-win seat majority for our friends, the Democrats in the Senate. You know, we're entering that post-election analysis and hand-wringing portion of the, of, the, of the series right now as people look at what they did, what they didn't do. Our friends at the Republican Party are doing some of that. Not really. They're not going to really do anything changing. <laughs> the Democrats certainly are, you know, but there's no denying that President Biden will go down in history now as one of the most successful midterm first term presidents. Uh, I think uh, the first guy to gain senators in a century, only three people in a century have done that. FDR and JFK and now Joseph R. Biden actually gained Senate seats. So that's there's no way to avoid the fact that he's been very successful. It's funny seeing Newt Gingrich even recognizing that the other day, which tells you maybe some people are paying attention, but not paying attention enough. So having said that, as we, as we leave the midterms behind the show, I really want to start spending a lot more time in the show talking about our democracy, the elements of our democracy, and what matters to it more than just electoral politics. And so one of the guests I've been trying to get on the show for a while, because he's become a friend uh, in the last couple of years, is, is here. So we're going to not waste any damn time. We're going to get right to it. So on with the show. Again, welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Fred Wellman. Welcome on Democracy with F.P. Wellman, the, the show we talk to smart people fighting for our democracy every day. As I mentioned before the break, I am thrilled to have our guest. I've been fighting to get her on the show for a while. She's a busy woman. Sold out O'Brien, of course. Uh, welcome to the show. She's an award-winning documentarian, journalist, speaker, author, philanthropist, <laughs> CEO of Sold Out O'Brien Productions now, which used to be, I can't remember the name before, you had an older name. <laughs> you know, currently anchors and produces the Hearst Television Political Pro Magazine, Matter of Fact, with Sold Out O'Brien. Latest project, The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks. I just watched it this week, currently being broadcast on MSNBC and available on Peacock. Uh, she's also carved out a really interesting niche, very directly calling out for our media to get their shit together and to fight disinformation and inform the American people. Actually, so hold on. Welcome to the show. I, feature, I really appreciate you fitting us in. Of course. Of course. You make it sound like. I don't know. That was a long list of stuff I'm doing. I just feel busy, crazed. But thank you. It's nice to finally be have our schedules match up. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate your flexibility. I know it's thrilling. And and you know we met, we met the first time. I don't. You probably don't remember it actually when you <laughs> you debuted the documentary, The War Comes Home. At the National mm -hmm. Press Club in 2016, it was the first time I got a chance to grab you. I was running my old company, Scout Comms, work on veterans' issues. I was thrilled to see what you produced, and it was a very touching documentary about, you know, the challenges a lot of us face. And it's funny for me, if you know my journey, I think you know, you know my journey now is at that time I was kind of dealing with my own the, the the realization that I actually was one of those people on the film uh, who was dealing with the aftermath of war, but had kind of avoided it for most of his adult life. Uh, came crushing home not long after your documentary. I think it was one of the pieces that kind of made me start thinking that maybe. Uh, Maybe I wasn't as clean out of this thing as I thought it was. <laughs> and so I really appreciate your work in that way. And, you know, and then last year, two years ago, you kind of called out the Lincoln Project on Twitter. And I, I said, hey, I'm right here. Let's talk about it. And God bless you. We had a, a great conversation on Twitter. And then you invited me on your show to have a, a refreshing conversation about what we were doing. Our first chat, I was I remember I was in the Hannaford pushing my grocery cart with the phone like this, chatting with you, <laughs> telling you everything I hated. <laughs> <laughs> but I hate about your organization. Like, okay, that's fair, <laughs> you know, but that's great. And that's, that's the, that's what we learned, right? I mean, I appreciate that. And, and here we are. I finally got you to come over here. You know, I, I think I warned you. One of the first things I always ask the guests on the show is, is, 
I loved learning the lesson. You know, how did you get here? You know, you you started off in the broadcast traditional broadcast journalism. You're, you're, the, you're the daughter of immigrants. Um, you're a daughter of, of parents whose marriage was illegal in many places when they were married. You know, you, you've got a remarkable personal journey. But how did you end up where you are now with your with your productions and your value and the, and the impact you have on our 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 democracy? I mean, Jesus, uh, it's just a year ago, February of last year, I think, that you actually testified before Congress about disinformation. Well, you know, I think. It's going to sound so cheesy, but I, I think when you, I'm 56 and I remember very clearly getting into my fifties and just being, I don't care. I don't care about feedback. I don't care. I know people care about how many Twitter followers they have and, and are they curating their feed the way? And I remember going into all the stuff, like I'm actually just going to do it the way I would do it. And I have no idea if it's the right way, if it's the wrong way. I don't, I don't care. I just, I'm just going to do what I like. And I remember that being a very freeing thing. Um, when I left CNN to start my own production company, I just remember thinking like, I think I can do this and I think I can make money at it. And I, and I, I think it'll be better than being in a place that is clearly just having some struggles, even, you know, pretty early on. Um, you know, I recognize it, that it like I just didn't want to be there. And my husband would say over the years after I left, listen, if you hadn't already quit, you'd have to you'd have you'd, you'd be quitting now. <laughs> so There it is. Pretty. Yeah. So, you know, there was this whole idea of just like. I think the, 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 the metaphysical, like, how did you get there is sort of feeling like if, if people aren't happy with what I'm saying, I fully understand and that's okay. But I don't really care if you, you don't want to invite me to your event. I'm totally okay with that. If you like Van Jones and I'm clearly don't, and that upsets you, I don't care. And in the nicest of ways, and I just, you know, so I, I try to curate all that stuff just around like what I like and what I'm thinking. And that means one thing might be for social media, at least, you know, dogs. And then the next thing might be, you know, something about journalism. And the next thing might be a really interesting thread that I've read. And, you know, so, and, and I'm sure there's a million consultants who would say, oh my God, this is just a, like a, a train wreck. You can't have all these things mixed in together, but I'm like, I like it. It works for me. That's I don't it. know if it works, but it works for me. So I think the, the kind of the broad answer is I just really got to the point of, I was going to do what I wanted to do. I was going to do the projects I wanted. I was going to work with the people. One of the nice things, I mean, being an entrepreneur is so hard that one of the really few nice things is to be able to pick who you work with. Um, right. Like there's so few perks. So there are so you get, you can run your schedule to a large degree whenever you want, but you're working so many more hours. Right. That it's kind of a mythology, right? It's not like, Oh, I'm just gonna, yes, I can absolutely arrange my schedule to go do something. I take a kid to a, a lacrosse tournament or something, but for the most part, you just end up staying much later working or getting up much earlier to finish it right. or whatever. Yep. And I just remember thinking like, well, the, the, the one perk that's a really great perk is you just can surround yourself with the kind of people you want to be around. That's a really great perk. And I was going to take advantage of that. So, so I think that's kind of the, not the non-specific answer, but really the answer of how I am here today doing, I'm sitting in my, uh, and I live in Harlem, I'm sitting in a, my little bedroom, um, my little podcast, good lighting up, Yeah. <laughs> You know, because that's I just sort of decided that I was going to try to make decisions to do what I wanted to do. And they're not always the right decisions. Sometimes they were stupid and I made a lot of mistakes, but they certainly I felt like when it was a mistake, that was my mistake. I felt better about it. Like, oh, I'll learn versus a mistake that I was stuck doing because I agreed to work with somebody whose values I didn't share. Well, it's 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 such a great journey. And it's funny because we're similar in age. I'm, I'm 57. Uh, and it, it's some of, I went through some of the same catharsis, right? I had that, I had a, I had retired from the army. 
I had my company that was working in the veteran circles and then Trump came on the scene and I had very strong feelings about that, obviously. And, and I, and I agonized because in my world, in that world, I was in previously in the veteran service organization world, there's people, unfortunately, there's an, there's an access, right? If you go after the president, you don't get invited to the signing ceremony. If you go after the president, you don't get invited to the meeting at the VA. So, so I found myself in a situation where my professional life was being impacted by my personal political opinions. Right. And, and, and it was very freeing. I remember in, um, in, uh, as the country was doing, actually we're doing very well in 2020, we went into 2020 very strong, but at that point I just had enough, you know, I was like, I was so sick of the silliness. I was sick of Trump. And I was at a, I had a, I was at a ball, some kind of award, you know, you know, how it is in DC, right? <laughs> and, you know, and, and this guy's like, Fred, man, I'd love to hire you for our, or, you know, for our nonprofit and all, but I mean, you're the best PR guy in the business for veterans. You, you bring in the money for everybody and all. It's great. But you know, they, they just, they just don't, they wouldn't like your politics. I'm like, well, I guess in retrospect then, fuck you. <laughs> you know, to be honest, you know, I was like, dude, then I don't want your damn work. You know, if you're so much of a coward that you're more worried about what the board's going to think about my politics than doing the work for your organization, I don't want to be here. And then of course there was a pandemic and I was, you're right. I was like, what do I do? And, and, and I'll, I'll add my part, my side of it too is, um, and you know, me on Twitter, I do just what I just did. Now I drop F bombs and I've got my own brand of being sort of raw. And I remember when I got the executive director job at Lincoln, um, Steve Schmidt calls me up. Fred, Steve, uh, look, you got to stop with the F-bombs on Twitter. We already got one. We already got one Rick Wilson. <laughs> I'm like, bro, that's my brand. I don't know what to tell you. It's not, I'm not trying to do it. I'm not trying to do it, Steve. I'm just mad all the time. And, and I'm going to say it like it is. I was a soldier for God. It's funny. I talked to my girlfriend about it. She goes, God, you were in the army for 22 years. What does he think you're going to say? I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> so anyway, so I feel you. I feel like, but you know, that does bring me to the topic of, of your show. I love your, I adore your show. Matter of fact, it, it's it, a good, show, it's a good it? yeah. show. Yeah. It's, it's a really good show, and I was so not interested in doing a show when I left CNN. Yep. I had done it a week, like three hours a day. It was just a lot, you know, and I'd done it for a long time. And yep. so, um, but they, uh, they approached me about doing this show, and really, we shoot one day a week. And I was like, okay, I think that just logistically, I could make that work. But the woman who's our um, executive editor, really, is just so smart about the stories that we cover. She's just brilliant. She's been in local news forever yeah. um, from Wisconsin. And it was very, and her name is uh, Rita Aleman, right? And people right. say, Ale, Rita Aleman. So here I am getting on the phone with somebody who I think is like a Latina, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's got the most Midwestern, like, And <laughs> <laughs> I ask you how you got your name? She's like, oh, I was married to a guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, I, so I really love that her perspective is very middle of the country, right? She's always interested, but like, what, what, what do people in Wisconsin think? We know how do people feel? You know, she's not sort of obsessed with, right. which I think a lot of journalists are obsessed with as much, you know, what's going to happen in DC? Are we getting invited to this thing now? How about the thing in LA? Do we want to be in New York? How do we do You know, like she's really very much, but what about the hospitals in, uh, in Indiana? What's happening in Wisconsin? Right. You know, Missouri, like she's just so interested. And I think, part of the reason she is because that's where she's from like that it's where she lives so it's really her home so she's just constantly every day in and day out spent talking to people yeah. there about issues and so i love that because i'm much more new york uh, and i live in florida in the winter but yeah, i'm a new yorker and so and i've been for a long time so i have a lot of new york perspective right. uh, so I, I think it's what's made the show really good and then we long ago very early on 
we're in our eighth season and we decided not to put politicians on for the most part, mm. partly because it was in the middle of the um, really uh, tr- the whole sort of first years of Trump. And you just everybody would just lie and make stuff up. Right. Like you couldn't get a really good. And some of that is just how TV news is going. Right. I right. just the idea of giving a platform to unmitigated bullshit constantly was very problematic to me, you know, and. And it's also exhausting to do interviews where you're bringing people on who you know are going to lie and you're just spending the entire time fact checking them, right? As opposed to having a conversation and getting their honest point of view or even honest facts from them. You just are kind of like the referee of like, well, that didn't happen. Actually, the quote wasn't that. And that didn't really go that way. And actually, here's what he said. It's exhausting. And so we started realizing that we could look at policy and center people and not sort of center this idea of like, what, but what are the DC politicians? You know, we just remove the middleman or, or the politicians, you know? So if we wanted to do something about, you know, some legislation that was going to affect Native Americans, right? We would literally just go to Cherokee Nation and talk to people there. Right. And it became really interesting. I mean, it's so funny. I was thinking just the other day, because this week's show has a story about uh, this 200-year-old treaty, of course, that America failed to actually right. honor. Uh, and now the Cherokee Nation is like, well, we get a represent- representative in Congress, and we expect to have that, uh, that, that um, treaty honored after 200 years. So... And I was like, wow, we have probably done 20 stories on Native America. I mean, so many more than I ever did when I was at CNN. And this show is, it's half an hour once a week. I mean, it's a very small show. It's doing really well for us, but it's a small little show. So I, I do feel like we really, by removing politicians as middlemen, we actually end up having very interesting people talking about the things that are really real in their lives. And that's, I think, has made it really um an interesting show and it, it does it's doing very well for us it does I, very well for in missouri by the way i'm sure and and it's it's I, I described it in my notes it's it's journalism journalism on a mission is how i felt I, I watched last week's episode just just for just to make sure i was up to date and uh, and one of my favorite article shows uh excuse me portions was the woman who got famous on tiktok doing recipes from wick ingredients and that's such you know i mean it's it, it feel it started off like a oh, tiktok lady doing recipes but it's such a great story for the layers of the issue because we talk about the stigma around WIC. We talk about what these goes into. And here's a young woman, a lovely woman who's very good on camera talking about, I just decided to start doing recipes with the crap I can buy. And it took off. And her, what was her yeah. most, one of her most popular recipes was grilled cheese and homemade tomato soup, all from WIC ingredients. And I'm like, that's good journalism. You know, because <laughs> right. it, it could have been a story about TikToking, but it wasn't, was it? Two other things. One was that, um, you know, she, she, everybody's doing an inflation story in some case, right? Right. That's our, our inflation story is not going to be, I'm standing here live. Look at the gas prices at this overpriced gas station. It's (laughs) going to really sort of focus on solutions and what people are doing like a regular person. And then number two, if Rita were doing this interview, she would say, you should know that our producer, Ash, um, uh, was a young woman who is one of our producers who pitched that story. And for her, the the execution of a producer's idea brought to life that does well on the show, like is part of her journey of really mentoring our employees and making sure people have the kinds of stories that they want to see on the air. Yeah. So it's, it is, it's been really fun to work on a show where you also don't have to do it, something that I think we do a lot. We did a lot when I worked at CNN, not as much as I think they do now, or maybe things are changing. I don't know. I haven't really watched it in a while. <laughs> uh, but 
you know, we, but, but, I, I don't even mean that as a dig. I just really yeah. haven't, but it's, you kind of have to have like this opinion or this opinion, the idea of somebody explaining something complicated. Like I feel like our best show that we've ever done for that, um, for, for a matter of fact, went to went to Puerto Rico to look at the grid and how solar power was helping some Puerto Ricans actually remove themselves from the grid so that they could be kind of in control of their own destiny. Right. Two million people. And I just remember thinking, like, I could never pitch that, right? I'd never been like, whoa, Fred, I've got a story for you. We're going to go do solar power in Puerto Rico. <laughs> so many clicks. They're going to click the shit out of it. <laughs> but today, you kind of have to pitch... Uh, I'll tell you actually a funny story. I was on Chris Matthews' show before he left that show, and he had me on to talk about um, Castro. Fidel Castro had died, and and right before I went on, they said we're going to put you up against Jose Diaz Balart, and I'm like, like up against right because it has to be <laughs> it's a competition. That's, that's, <laughs> Bad guy die, <laughs> but whatever. And I kept saying, I mean, it was a terrible debate, which it was not supposed to be a debate because I kept saying, I agree with you. Like he was taking the side that, you know, Castro was a terrible dictator. I'm like, my mother fled Cuba. So yeah, I totally agree. I mean, what, what side am I going to take on that? But Tisa was a, a dictator, a terrible dictator too. But I mean, if you are interested in understanding what all these people are mourning a guy who they would also simultaneously tell you ruined Cuba in a lot of ways, like, right. aren't you? curious about like don't you want to learn something and the answer was clearly not really right we want you and jose diaz balart to fight because that drama is what's going to get picked up and you see that a lot right nobody says we need some smart people to talk about from their own perspective an issue instead it's she needs to say this he needs to say the opposite of this they're going to go at it for four and a half minutes and what we are hoping is that that'll either get clicks or someone will pick it up and it'll then get put on another platform and then that'll be a win and so i think our show has been very successful you know i'll I'll brag without really i'm not a big bragger but i'll brag about it because i really think like we've been successful because we actually try to explain so what is the First Amendment? Everybody says, oh, it's the First Amendment. But let's dig into it. Where did it come from? What's gerrymandering exactly? Right. Who does it? How does it work? Um, you know, just we try to dig in and explain things and have smart people who I don't need to fact check them, right? I don't, they're, not, they're not bullshitting me. I don't have to hold them accountable because I know they're lying. I can just say, so you're a professor who's been studying this. Can you explain what your research found? You know, Paul, or whatever. Paul Sox. Paul Sox and melatonin, right? <laughs> the, the, those kind of complicated stories that matter. Because it's affecting a large part of our, a growing part of our population, by the way, and and in the middle of a pandemic, that you know the pulse ox doesn't work for God's sake. It's those are important stories, right? That's so crazy. I mean, it's it's fascinating, and so that to me has been so much more interesting than you know, ooh, she won that fight, or ooh, he lost that fight. Which, as we know, we frame political debates this way too, right? Like it doesn't necessarily even have a an impact on how people vote at the end of the day, right? You could have someone who you, everyone thinks they won that debate or they lost that debate. And at the end of the day, it may not be correlated with anything else at all. So why are we so focused on that kind of stupidity? And often people don't even agree. So, you know, I think it's been very exciting in an environment where the news I think is sucking often, especially when it comes to politics, to be able to say, well, here's an interesting story that we think is important. We're going to give someone who's smart a few minutes to explain in a thoughtful way about what their research is finding. And it's been working for us. Which brings me to the next topic, which is, uh, it segues right into it, which is 
you know, one of the things I say a lot, um, I think both on Twitter and on, on here on the show is that in many ways, it feels like our institutions are failing us in this moment in America, right? That mm-hmm. there are government institutions, the DOJs, that the traditional institutions are not aware. And one of the ones that gets a lot of my ire and yours is why you and I bond over it is the media as an institution that they don't seem capable of increasing its kid. They're not they're not able to meet the challenges this moment. They're like calling things racially charged instead of racist, right? <laughs> instead of something calling something controversial instead of f and lie, you know. I know it's a lie. Just say it's a lie. He lied. Okay, you know. No, he's a racist. He said a racist thing. Those that, that statement was racist. You know, he didn't. He didn't. I mean, you, you and I just recently were. I think we, we were both sharing the, the 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 anger over the Nick Fuentes thing, where they I think New York Times how the New York Times tweet say it was like a controversial past statements. Controversial past statements. The guy's a fucking raging anti semite. <laughs> He literally said, you know, like, there's, there's no, there's no couching this. You know, and this is how we end up with, with this both sides bullshit. I mean, I, I'm passionate about the both sides bullshit. I had something I bring up a lot on Twitter. I have a son-in-law who's a national guardsman in Virginia. He stood around guarding the effing Robert E. Lee statue in Charlottesville during the Unite the Right rally. I was laying at home with a brand new knee that I just gotten replaced, sitting there having to watch this thing unfold hundred miles from where I lived in Virginia, knowing my son-in-law was when I saw those soldiers in the background, that was my kid as these jackasses attacked and each other over a effing statue allegedly. So, I mean, you you have strong opinions about that. I mean, what is driving this cascading failure of this institution in your opinion? I think a lot of it honestly is social media, right? Okay. It's, I, um, journalists will reach out to me and say, can you retweet this? Because they have to, right. their life depends on being viral. A lot of stuff's not viral, right? A lot of explaining. So, you know, let me explain to you why this vote is an implication, has this implication and why, what this could mean, right? Some stuff is just, you need to understand it. And unfortunately, I think when you make everything sort of like compete for eyeballs, it's not really a way that I think journalism should be judged, but, but it is now. So when, you know, you see the New York Times get into a lot of, right? I mean, what's her face with the New York Times? Who's so awful, Pamela Paul, right? She, she cannot get enough of like bashing trans people. It's the craziest thing. I mean, I, I, I bet Pamela Paul has met maybe one trans person in her time. Right. Like you would think. Or, and, they, or did and doesn't even know it, by the way, because 99% of the time you have no idea, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> right, but you would yeah. think from her writing that like day in and day out, this is a thing that she's grappling with. So once again, she's going to write about it. It's the craziest bullshit. It's just so insane. Right. But they understand that these are little buttons, right? And they, they hit little outrage buttons. And that's a way to get readers and way to get engagement. There's hate engagement. There's liking engagement but there's engagement and that's better like a toddler right engagement even hate engagement is better than no engagement at all and so i think that that's just a big the way the whole structure has been set up that you need some kind of engagement is really kind of crazy I'll, i'll give you a great example so my i live in florida in the winter and the new york times real estate section did a little thing on my floors i'd gone on twitter we've been painting my floors with a girlfriend of mine in Florida. And there were a handful of people, maybe 10% of the people were like, Oh my God, how dare you paint your floors? But, but like understand until it got to that debate, like the story was uninteresting. Right. It didn't matter to me. I mean, I was painting my floor. I don't care, but, but like the, the whole thing had to be framed as, you know, there's a debate over right. blah, blah, blah. Right. Now the truth is there was a debate, but it was about 10% of something. Mostly my good guess, a handful of bots and some crazy people. And then, right. you know, some people who were like, oh, I just wouldn't paint my floors, but, but it's a classic. Every story has to be framed as some kind of outrage could have been framed as, um, 
I decided to paint my floors to save money because I really can't get to renovating that house for a couple of years because we got to do the other it's, it's a it's a front and back house you know yep. got to work on the other um, right. There's a million other ways you could have framed it, but if you don't frame it as like someone's outraged, then forget it. You really don't have a story. And I think that's super, super problematic. Yeah. And it's weird. You know, I, I, I'm, I'd be lying if I hadn't say I had benefited from that. Right. Let's be honest. Like me, especially my personality online, if you know my personality online, my thing is snappy replies to awful people. <laughs> I think like somebody said, you know, somebody said the other day, that's your brand. Like, I mean, literally about every every time Lauren Boebert says something stupid, the, the meme of me telling her that, you know, when she said my pronoun is Patriot and I replied to her literally, you know, you love these things. I was getting in my elevator at my old apartment with my dog because she had to walk outside and, and I saw Lauren Boebert saying her pronoun was you know, Patriot or something like that. And I said, that's a noun. So is idiot, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and, and it went viral. And now every time somebody's, you know, she says something stupid, somebody retweets that it's, it is, it is a very, like you said, it's like a, it's, there's, there's an endorphin rush, right? There's a, there's that, that, you know, that dopamine dump of, of the anger machine um, that we're, we're seeking out. I, I had a guest talk about that, that dopamine rush we get from the anger machine, and I don't know how we break the cycle because there, there isn't enough of folks like yours where we're saying, hey, this is an important issue. Here's here's the facts, actual facts. We have we have alternate we have separately, separately sets of facts now. And you ended up on, in front of Congress for that. Right. I mean, the disinformation doesn't have much of that. Like we I mean, I guess if there's anger, it's like, well, this system is broken right? right. or this, Justice. you know, but it's not it's not sort of a, you know, here's the person we're going to who's going to be on air and we're going to mock them or make fun of them or fight them. It literally is. Well, is this unfair? I mean, what do you mean if you have darker skin, some of this technology may not yeah. work on you and no one remembered to test it on anybody. <laughs> Interestingly, not only did they not test on people with darker skin, they didn't test it on babies, right? So all the babies in the NICU are hooked up to these things that no one's actually ever tested them, you know? So, um, you know, so like if there's any outrage, it's, it's, it's that, but yeah, it just, it's, and I, I, I don't mind snappy, like, I don't mind it. It's just that for journalism to only have that, it's right. just very un and to, to have it always be, you know, framed as some kind of fight because, I mean, a friend of mine, a guy named Steve Perry, years ago, I did a doc on him, a black in America doc, mm -hmm. and he would call me and he would say, you know, uh, he was, he's a school principal and he'd say, people, they'll call me and they'll say, you know, there's a story today about this. We're looking for a person who's going to say such and such, not, so you've been a principal now for 35 years. I love your take on it. Or, you know, you're a principal in a big urban school. Could you talk to this? Like, let's take your expertise and leverage it. It's, we need someone who's going to say these things. Will you say it? And if your answer is no, you won't get booked. Right. So if Steve wanted to um, be on TV or if he felt it was important for him to be on TV, then he would say, yes, I'll do it. And he'd say it because, you know, because as you know, these things are all correlated to how you can get paid and you get to come on more. I think Green right. Walt is a really good example of understanding like the more nasty and trollish you can be, the more likely you're going to be a star of Fox News. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I just think Steve was like, well, that's ridiculous. I, I don't believe that. Why would I say that? It's just and also as a principal who's done it for a long time, it's not even accurate. Like you, no one should be saying that's not the. The debate shouldn't be a fight. There are some really interesting, new, complicated nuances. We should talk about them. But nobody wants to really have that conversation. It's so weird because, you know, while CNN tries to figure out what it's doing, I think if they did that, they would do better. We, we yeah. have just found tremendous success in it. And I, I actually think it's an indication the audience does want to understand things. They do want to understand. Why can't you just fire that terrible teacher? And someone needs to say, well, so let me explain how this right. stuff works. You know, 
blah, 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 blah. And, and I don't think there's just cable just doesn't seem to have an interest in making people smarter about it. They, they just want you to be outraged, but he's a terrible teacher. Why is he not being fired? And tomorrow, you know, as if due process doesn't matter. So, you know, I, I just think that we have found really great results in kind of thinking more highly of our audience. Like I think the audience actually says, gosh, I do want to understand this. Right. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. I'll give you a good example. You have your, you had your knee, do you get your knee done or your hip done? Two knees replaced. Two old wow. army knees replaced. My doctor just told me I'm going to need a knee replacement, but not for a little bit. And, um, do it. Changed my life. Getting that hyaluronic <laughs> acid injection, you know, Ooh, when you're in okay, it's yeah. sort of always described to me as a little, like, um, you get three injections, one every yeah. week for three weeks. And it always was just, my husband's had it for a while. So he describes it as like a little cushion, like yeah. it's a little cushion to help take over, you know, the, the meniscus that you've lost or the cartilage. That right. lost. So I was asking my doctor really how it worked. Turns out that's wrong, completely wrong. My husband had it wrong. I don't know. He, he, the doctor's like, oh, no, no. Write that down. Like, There's our clip, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> You're in trouble now, sister. <laughs> I was telling him yesterday, I was like, you know, I thought like that it was squishing in a cushion like yeah. this acid would, would gel and get in there and make a cushion. And it's not at all. It's a painkiller. Okay. The doctor's like, no, it just it just dulls some of the nerves in this certain thing. You're like, oh, that's all it is. It's a painkiller that lasts, you know, up to two years or something. Completely different of how I I envisioned it. And I think that, um, you know, I think that like in journalism, there's so many other ways to really, you know, you think it has to be a certain way in a story, and it doesn't. You don't have to market it that way. You don't have to sell it that way. You can actually, you know, rethink how something works and how people how people learn from it and you could be more respectful of your audience and assume that they actually want to learn something. Yeah. And we, we do you think, that. do you think ratings? I mean, I, I, uh, last week I had Mark McKinnon on the show and Mark actually was one of my professors, if you will, at, at Harvard. And I went to grad school. I dropped the H bomb. Sorry. When I went to grad school, oh, <laughs> uh, you know, thank you for your tax dollars. I'm <laughs> in grad school. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but thank you. Anyway, I want to talk about, I know you're a Harvard person. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Mark, uh, we used to joke in Mark's class is like celebrity of the week. So the Tuesday class would be him teaching a really good lesson about storytelling and, and political political storytelling. And then the second Thursday was like some amazing guest from the walk at, to, you know, Alex Castellanos. I mean, his, his, you know, his Rolodex is freaking nuts. And uh, it was interesting. He brought in the founders of Politico as they were founding Politico. This is 2000, I want to say six. And they were just launching Politico. And I remember them saying, you know, the, the traditional model, and they were real excited about this. And now I'm like horrified, but you know, the traditional model news was you had to win win the day or win the month or win the quarterly ratings. And then you went maybe, you know, then, then you have cable news and they want to win the day. Our model is going to be win the hour. And, and when political launched, that was their idea was they're going to have stories all the time winning the hour. Of course they chewed through reporters because of that. But, and now we've got, you know, I think, I think now we're zeroed in and we got to win the minute. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it just feels like we've gone through this four arc where everything is a competition. If you're always in competition, um, you've always got to be fighting the other guy. You're not actually, like you said, you're not taking, if I got to win the minute or win the segment, uh, I'm not doing long segments that explain really hard things. Right. It just, it right. seems like a, a circle no. in the drain though. Right. I, I think that, I mean, I really think Politico is trash and I, I think <laughs> yeah, there's that <laughs> that they really constantly show you that they are trying to win a minute and not sort of being thoughtful like constantly you know they often you know get shit wrong but yes. they just they're just 
thoughtful where it's like, let's help people understand this thing. They just, it's just not, I mean, maybe that's just not their, their model, but I think they're really not very, um, I think the reporting is not, is not good, but uh, yeah, I guess if your strategy is to win the minute, which I'm not sure why it would be to win the minute every so often, they do have some interesting reporting. They do have some good reporters who do come up good stuff, but so often you're like, just, I'm like, God, Politico is just trash. There's just so much crap out there. And they're also obviously to win the minute, you know, then you really need to be an access journalist in a lot of ways. So they have some reporters who are just absolute pure access journalists, you know, because, and they talk about it. They're not ashamed of it. Right. Unfortunate. Well, all that's a drag. I want to kind of, as we, as we get towards the end of, of your time, I really want to talk about the documentary. Um, is it, mm-hmm. is it, is it, I've seen you say, is it, is it true that no documentary has really ever been done about, about, about right. by Mother Parks? I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, and I watched it and, and, and I was engaged. I, you know, I was like, it's just what a fascinating story. Uh, I can't believe, I mean, she was not, I mean, you know, they, they, and look, look at me, I, like I, middle, I mean, I grew up about five miles from here in a, literally in a subdivision built around a golf course. Okay. So that tells you a lot about my upbringing. Okay. And, you know, I had the vision of Mrs. Rosa Parks as being this sweet little lady who sat down and was, you know, and then you watch the dog and like, nah, man, this is a plan. They had a teenager get arrested, but that was, she wasn't going to be a good witness at 15. So they were kind of hoping that maybe, and sure enough, Mrs. Parks who happens to be the secretary of the NAACP, <laughs> you know, but you know, it's, it's very different story. She wasn't, she wasn't a sweet little lady. She was a damn soldier, wasn't she? Yeah, it really was. She was so hardcore. Also, right. you know, you think of very old and grandmotherly and tired. Even the New York Times, when she died, eulogized her as the accidental um, uh, matriarch of the movement. And you're like, there was literally nothing accidental about those apart from the age of eight, where she's, you know, hanging out with her grandfather, who's got a shotgun because he's going to take out members of the KKK if he has to, uh, to really the, you know, moments before she died, like she was constantly working on the cause. There was absolutely nothing accidental to accidental about her at all. And so, yeah, you know, we were surprised when the directors came to us, Yoruba Richin and Johanna Hamilton, and it, it was based off of a book written by Jean Theo Harris, who's a, a beast on Twitter. She's really worth following. Johanna, the director, had been in, had, had, had read a thread, a Twitter thread, actually, of, um, <laughs> of Jean Theo Harris's and every, every birthday of Rosa Parks, Jean would write like 25 things that you didn't know about Rosa Parks. And, you know, Johanna, I think like most of us was like, well, I know a little bit about Rosa Parks. (laughs) And and she said, you know, she'd get through number one, like I kind of knew that, but by the number 25, she's like, I know none of these things. None of these things. Right. That's really what led to the documentary. But I think, so when they said, you know, there's never been a doc done, of course, I was like, "Uh uh-huh, but we probably should really double check. I was utterly shocked. And I think it's, you know, one, there's just not a lot of video of Rosa Parks that exists. But also, you don't even really know what her voice sounds like. Like, there's some people in history who we know exactly what they sound like. So yeah. we were lucky. Lisa Gay Hamilton, the actor, was uh, kind enough to, to read a lot of the letters for yeah. us that Rose Parks had written. So we had a lot of her own words in the doc. But it's fascinating the degree to which she was really strategic. And the, the bus boycott was strategic. And that her job before the bus boycott, her job was to go and take testimony from women who'd been raped or gang raped was gutting oh my gosh and knowing both the victim and rosa parks well aware that there would be no justice for this person right. any times right like and yet she was like well you still need to have a record of what actually happened and we need to have your side of this story we need to hear from you the victim what happened 
And I always think of like, what amazing courage. Who does that? Like, who thinks that way? It's, it's just fascinating. So I think there were so many things that I learned about Rosa Parks. And again, I would have been like, oh, listen, you know, I, I, I know quite a bit about what I've done now. A whole bunch of documentaries. Who I am. <laughs> I was so stunned. So, yeah. yeah, it's been a great project. Anybody who wants to watch it can watch it on Peacock because it's streaming there. It was on MSNBC. Um, I think it's the 67th anniversary um, of, uh, of the boycott. So, um, or it was, so, uh, so they ran it on MSNBC and, um, you know, it's just, it's, I think for a lot of people, it's, it was, a, it's a really beautifully done documentary, oh, yeah. but I think yeah. learn a lot too. And, um, and I, there's so few times that I'm just stunned by something I thought I knew. And it turns out I didn't know she was 42 when that, during the bus boycott, you know, right. I'm like, I thought she was a little old lady, right? If you had to, if I had to guess, I would have said, oh, she was 60. She was not. Right. And, and the crazy thing is she kept trying to correct reporters. She would say, I was no more tired than I was at any other time after work. I was tired of being treated badly, right? Which right. is a whole different kind of tired. <laughs> but, you know, no one ever really I mean, even when Nancy Pelosi and uh, was eulogizing her, you know, like that's what she said. Oh, she was a tired, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like yep. so people just got it wrong as yep. much as she tried to make them get it right. That, um, you know, it, it's just a fascinating story. So I'm, well, I'm glad that. You- I loved it. And, and there wasn't five minutes that went by and learned something new. Uh, it was powerful from the very beginning where you do the who's, you know, the the the, the game show where yeah. they, they didn't even know who she was. And, and, and it was it. Uh, what was his name? Mitzi Gaynor. No, the gentleman. Uh, oh, uh, Nipsey Russell. Nipsey Russell. Thank you. Uh, terrible. Uh, but what a lovely man. And and the way he says, well, I know we're dear friends. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and but, you know, while she's alive, people didn't recognize her. You know, this is mama, you know, Mother Parks, as they called her. You know, she, you know, right. the, the mother of this. And just remarkable. And, and, and I want to go back to something you said funny. And, and actually, I want to highlight it before we move on is, is you said her job was to write. That actually wasn't her job. She was a seamstress. She was a tailor's assistant. Her She did the volunteer, she right? She was. A, yeah. <laughs> her pay job, but she was a secretary for yeah. the NAACP. So she literally got on buses and went to gather information. I mean, that she had two jobs and, right. and that was why she was always working yeah. to ban rights for black people. She would go in and vote and they would tell her all the reasons why she wasn't able to vote, you know, at the time. And, and she just was constantly like testing the system to see if she could improve the lot of, of, of black people. So yeah, you're right. I mean, her job was a seamstress. She never worked after the bus boycott again. Yep. I had no idea that she could not find any job at all. Insane. Neither could her husband after the bus boycott and that all the, the um, patriarchy kind of whatever rewards came to the folks who in the civil rights movement after the successful boycott, she was kind of left out of any of that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, I was really thought it was brave to take that on too. And I think it was very interesting to me to see um, the wonderful voices that they interviewed, you know, taking on these, this, all these, the myths on both sides of this history, right? We have our myths on my side, the guys that look like me, but also that, that patriarchal part of streak that was in the civil rights movement where men sort of took the front, um, you know, the March to Washington had one woman speak. Uh, I love the little anecdote of, of Lena Horne, like saying, you know, I, <laughs> you know uh, I'm taking her. Yeah. You know, I'm taking, come with me. We're going to go, you know, dragging Mrs. Parks to go talk to the media. You know, I just, such a lovely anecdote of, of a person. Then she's fighting for till the bitter end apartheid till the, you know, to the very end. And, and then, like you said, I think the, the code of that at the end was that I, I respect Speaker Pelosi, but even Mrs. Pelosi got up there and still didn't know the true story. As we as we put a statue in for her life, 
we still didn't know the true story of Mrs. Rosa Parks. So I, I'm thrilled that you guys did it. I hope more people watch. I'll flog the hell out of it on Twitter and all. Also, of it. tell people this book, which has got the same name, The Rebellious yeah. Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks, um, which is written by Jean Theo Harris, is a great book. I mean, yeah. it's phenomenal. So I highly recommend it. If you like the doc, check out the book. It's really worth reading. I'm going to add it to my my stack of people I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. So, well, I've taken a ton of your time. and I really appreciate it. Um, so I always ask everybody, I, I, we've talked a lot about where we can find you. So, I, you know, what's hot right now? I mean, other than you got the show, are you working on something else? Is something else cooking that we should know about? A new book? You oh, got another documentary just, working? You got something cooking? Gosh, no books. I can't. It's like giving birth, you know, which is. I'm, I'm, always- I'm working on mine right now. I got a, a memoir coming oh. out. So God help me. Nice. No, um, no, we're continuing to do documentary projects. We've got a bunch. It's it's the season to start submitting them to um, festivals. So yeah. we're in the middle of that. And uh, and then, you know what I'm really looking forward to? Two weeks off at Christmas, man. I am tired. <laughs> this year has been a long year. And I am so excited that in a couple of weeks, my kids will all come home for Christmas and we'll get to hang out together and just do nothing. Yeah. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. And then we start 2023, you know. Back in a sprint. That's it. I know it's a, I'm a politico. So I thought, well, after the election, I'll take a break. And yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I talked to, I talked to McKinnon and somebody else about it. I said, yeah, I'll probably get some time off. He's like, yeah, no, not, no, it's, not it's cute. You think that, <laughs> you know, but then it's not, I'm, I'm busier than I've ever been, but I'll get to see the kids here next week and the grandkids. And, you know, and I, I think, I think Heather's sweet uh, is talking about sending me off somewhere alone. So that'd be great. But, and then again, finally, where can we find you online and all the different places we find in your social media? Uh, so we, Matter of fact, if you're interested in that show, go to matteroffect.tv and we list um, because it's a syndicated show. You can find it. In, it's in different times in different cities. Yep. Uh, I'm still on Twitter. Uh, whoever's left on Twitter, although I think a lot of people are still there. We're still there. We're still there. I've actually started gaining followers again, oddly. So yeah. we'll see, see how long Absolutely. that lasts. Brian uh, and Instagram as well at Soledad O'Brien. And, um, and then, yeah, that, you know, probably those are the best ways to find me. Great. I love it. Well, I appreciate you joining the show um, and we'll be back in just a second. We'll take a pause and then uh, we'll wrap things up. Ah, thanks so much. Having sold uh, join us. Another great show. Uh, as always, I, I'm so fortunate to have these wonderful people I've had the opportunity to work with and, and, uh, and meet. And then now have them come on the show. And so you guys can learn, you know, the amazing things I learned about them. I hope you enjoy the show. I, I, I we try to make it a personable show. So if you, if you do like it, going to do that thing we're supposed to do. I'm going to tell you, I, I need you to subscribe. I'd love you to like it. I'd love you to tell your friends. I'd love you to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, all of them uh, so we can grow the show and get more amazing guests. Next week, I'm, I'm thrilled to invite and, and, and have the Michael Steele, the former chairman of the RNC, is going to join us. He's been a friend for a couple of years now as well. That'll be a fascinating discussion about the midterms and what we face ahead. And, and I'm excited to talk to Michael about you know, the choices they have to make, that these parties have to make to pick candidates. So it's going to be a great show. As always, you can find me, uh, at FP Wellman on Twitter, FP Wellman, FP Wellman official on Instagram. Uh, the show is on Democracy Pod on Twitter, on Democracy Podcast on YouTube and everywhere you find it. As always, we're sponsored by my friends at Vi Media. Vi Media is a great digital marketing firm. They're based here in St. Louis. This studio is part of their, their, their wonderful network. They are your best marketing partner for anything you want to accomplish, be it in St. Louis or nationwide. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. They've been good to me. You can find them at vi.media, V-I-E.media, on the line and everywhere. As always, On Democracy Podcast comes to you every week on Thursday afternoons. Maybe, maybe, you know, we may be adding some more. We're talking to Matt about that now because <laughs> things are going well and essentially I have some free time. In the meantime, please follow us on Twitter and, and, and join the conversation. Reach out to me. Send me DMs. I actually get my DMs on Twitter, so don't be afraid to reach out to me and tell me good things or how much you hate me. I get those too. In the meantime, we'll see you next week. As always, have a great week and uh, stay safe out there.